Amen. Well, it is a, a joy to be here with, among you, with God's people, and uh, what a wonderful occasion it is to celebrate the birth of Christ and worship the Lord together in that. And uh, to do that, we're going to gather in the scriptures. We're going to be in Luke chapter number two, Luke chapter number two, and uh, we're going to be looking at verse one down through verse number twenty. Uh, the primary focus will be on uh, verse eight through the rest of uh, verse twenty, uh, as we'll be looking at the shepherds this morning. But I wanted to include. Uh, verse 1 through uh, 7 as well as we see the narrative of the birth of Jesus and uh, what a wonderful thing this is as we see um, all the prophecies that God had given and promises, they're, they're coming to fruition uh, through this text. The long-awaited Messiah has arrived and so this morning's message is going to be centered on the shepherds and I've titled it Hope for the Outcasts. Hope for the Outcasts, we're looking, continuing what we've been looking at through December on changed lives at Christ's advent, and we'll focus in a little bit on the shepherds this morning. And so let's look at Luke, number, Luke chapter number 2, verse 1, down through verse number 20, as we read the scriptures together. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was in the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger." because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this is born this day in the city of David a Savior." who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That whole narrative to me is just one that is marvelous to read and consider. But we think about the shepherds this morning. Have we ever considered why the shepherds are in the story of Jesus' birth? I mean, we see them regularly this time of year, don't we? We look at the nativity scene and who's always there. You've got the shepherds right there at the manger with Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And uh, that's what we're accustomed to. But why them? Why not priests and scribes? 
Why not kings or rulers being given this announcement and coming to them? Imagine God gave you the task of announcing His Son to the world, and He gave you the choice of who to tell first. Would you go to the shepherds first, or would you try to find someone more powerful and prominent, some way that the news could be spread over over across the land? Well, we see that God has ordained that these shepherds were to be told first. You see, the message of the angels here doesn't come, uh, in this text, doesn't come to the lofty, but to the lowly. And this message, this uh, announcement is going to end up connecting two lowly groups of people. You've got Mary and Joseph and Jesus, along with these lowly shepherds who were not prominent in their day. And this scene is a beautiful scene for us to consider. We see the registration or the tax that was demanded by the Roman authority uh, that brought Joseph and Mary to the town of Bethlehem. And we notice that in verse 5, that when Mary and them came there, that she was with child. And some translations will say that she was great with child, that she was close to being delivered. And the time came that while they were there in verse 6, the time came for her to give birth. Now, I love reading throughout all these passages as you see the providential hand of God. Is it coincidence that it's her time to deliver and there she is in Bethlehem? Not at all. Now, I know that when a baby's on the way and it's time to deliver, there's no traveling. There's no uh, going any long distance. There's no making this trip or that trip. There was no getting back to Nazareth. This was God's ordained plan. And so while they're there, she gives birth to our Lord and Savior in this lowly town of Bethlehem. And He is laid in another lowly fashion there in a manger. What great humility we see from the King of Kings. But this lowly picture just increases in in its glory as, as we see the message come to the shepherds and the shepherds are brought to see the Savior. Our, our text takes us beyond the town to a nearby field where certain shepherds would gr- be greatly affected by the birth of Christ. Now, we can only imagine this experience firsthand or any of them that we've considered, Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, the Magi, we can only maybe imagine what it must have been like to experience all these things firsthand. But as we look at their experience, I want you to see that it is a significant experience. It's one that speaks beyond just that era and that day all the way to us nearly 2,000 years later. It shows us the great truth about salvation, that salvation and hope had come even for the outcasts. In the world. Notice with me in our notes, and we'll give you three points from our text today. The first thing I want you to see is a heavenly announcement. We see a heavenly announcement, and this announcement is the message. It is the message that is brought to us. And notice with me about this the message came to shepherds. Very simple. The message came to shepherds. You say, well, why is that significant? Who were these shepherds? Well, we don't know exactly who they are. We don't know their names, we don't know their age, we don't know what tribe they were from, but we do know a little bit about shepherds of that day and time. Did you know that they were outcasts in the eyes of society? 
Shepherds were not well favored. They were not prominent. They were looked down upon. They were thought to be dishonest and even unclean according to some standards of the law, especially the additional standards brought out uh, by the religious of that day. Shepherds for long periods of time would be out in the wilderness, away from communities and away from culture as they tended to their flocks. They were often, uh, they, this often led to them being accused of practicing robbery because they were out there and they had the advantage of being far away and uh, could possibly prey on travelers who were traveling from afar. They were often accused of that. They were often categorized with the tax collectors and the gamblers and uh, those who were the sinners of the day. They were, des- they were despised trades. This, that of shepherding was a despised trade, both in the Mishnah, which was the Jewish oral law of the day, and the Talmud, which was other Jewish written law. That was something that was despised. In fact, a third century rabbi, commenting on Psalm 23, said this, There is no more despised occupation in the world than that of shepherds. That's a rabbi speaking on Psalm 23. According to later sources, shepherds were even considered too unreliable to give testimony in the courts. So, look at the shepherds from a historical and cultural perspective, understand who they are. They were a despised group of people. They were the outcasts of their day and time. They were were lowly. They were not high and elevated. And despite the shepherd's cultural status, where does the angel go? Who is the angel sent to to announce salvation, that the Savior has come? He comes to these shepherds out in the field. The shepherds. Why not the Levites? Why not the Sadducees? Why not the Pharisees, the scribes? Why not Herod? Why not uh, the Roman rulers? You see, the fact that this shepherd came, that this message comes to these shepherds echoes the reason that Christ came. And why is it that Christ came, church? He came to save sinners. Sinners. I'm glad He came to save sinners. You know why? Because I'm good at sinning. That's me. That's you. I mean, He came to save sinners. He came for the outcast, the discarded, the unwanted by those who thought they were righteous and superior in this world. And we look at Luke and we see just an example of this in Luke chapter 5 and verse 27 through verse 32. And and you look, Jesus encountered the the religious of His day and they were always very self-righteous and thought, They were better, they were worthy, and they looked down on people like shepherds. And they condemned Jesus for sitting and eating among eating with sinners, being with them. But but Luke, he corrects them. In Luke 5, verse 27 through verse 32 for a moment, after he calls Levi, or Matthew, who was a tax collector, after this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he arose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and other, others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous 
but sinners to repentance. You see, the Pharisees thought that you know, they were righteous. They thought that uh, they were the ones who had religion all ironed out. But what we find is that they were actually on the opposite end. They were some of the most unrighteous people, but blind to it. Their Messiah is walking before them. They're seeing Him with their eyes. They're hearing Him with their ears. And they are blind to the reality that He is the one who came to save sinners. Friend, we find the angel gives the most magnificent announcement to the least likely of people. And so in verse 8, we see these shepherds. These shepherds are out in the field. Now, typically, shepherds were away in the field, as in far off, uh, during, the, during the warmer months of March to November. And so from November to March, typically during the winter months, they were still tending to their flocks and their sheep, but they were a little closer to society and to the towns. Now, that may give some indication to the time of Christ's birth that it happened in colder months. Uh, we don't have an exact date. Uh, I'm thankful that we have a date that we set aside to celebrate this, but it's certainly not worth getting dogmatic about when was Christ born. I'm just thankful He is born, right? Uh, and so we, we, we celebrate the birth of Christ, that, that He comes into the world, and then this message comes to the shepherds. And, and this encounter with the shepherds is marvelous as it comes in a glorious fashion. Look at, look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me in our text we find that the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were filled with great fear. Now, I just ponder and imagine myself in their shoes for a moment. I try to do that just to kind of contemplate what would this experience have been like. Being a shepherd, you're out in the field, you're just going about your normal process of labor. Tending to your sheep. It's nighttime, and all of the sudden, all of the sudden, an angel appears. All of a sudden, an angel appears and begins to talk and give an announcement. Now, what's fascinating is that it's not just an appearance of an angel showing up like Gabriel did, you know, in the temple. He just shows up and there he is, or to, to, or to Mary, but, but this particular angel showing up has an even greater impact in the way he comes. Notice what happens with this. The glory of the Lord shone around, shone around them. So, so it's not just him showing up by a fire and there he's just sitting there. There's this overwhelming force of light and radiance that encompasses them at nighttime. So, so you see this glory of the Lord shone around them. The word glory here refers to the condition of being bright and shining and splendor and radiance. The glory of the Lord, we, we can see it displayed in various ways throughout the Scriptures. And in each way, it is a supernatural sight. For example, in the Old Testament, you, you see it in Exodus 24, 17. The appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. We see the glory of the Lord appear as the pillar of cloud that led them. Here's another thing that I think is a good parallel. The experience of the shepherds is the same kind of language that Paul used in describing his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. Do you remember what happened with Paul on the Damascus Road? Well, he's, he's on his way to uh, take into bondage Christians and persecute them. 
But he's struck down by the side of by, by Jesus. And in Acts 26, 13, Paul describes that. He says, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. Now there's only one light that can surpass the sun at the middle of the day when it's brightest and hottest, and that's the light of Christ, the light of God. The glory light here shone around Paul at midday was brighter than the sun. Now imagine how bright and breathtaking this light must have been at night. When when light dominates darkness anytime it shows up. Just imagine the experience of these shepherds. What was their initial reaction? Well, we find their initial reaction is the same as all those who got the first announcement. They were a little bit afraid, right? The Bible says they were filled with fear, and to be honest, I think I'd be a little scared too. I'm scared enough of the dark as it is. But then if you're out in the field and then a light shows up, I'm kidding, I'm not scared of the dark. But you can imagine being filled with fear. But that fear would turn into joy as we look next at not only the, the message came to the shepherds, but the message, what's it speak of? What is the message? The message spoke of salvation. Of salvation here. And so we come on down to verse 10, and, and here's what we find the angel tells them. He says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So this angelic presence with this message, this announcement, it wasn't an announcement of coming judgment that they should fear, but an announcement of good news, whereby they would rejoice. The Greek word here for good news comes from the same word that's translated as gospel. And that's what we, uh, we, we tend to simplify that in simple terms. Gospel means what? Good news. The gospel of Christ is, is good news. This is the essence of what we preach. It is the gospel, the good news of Christ. And so this, this specific uh, holiday, which we, we gather and we, we, we celebrate the coming of our Lord, that is the greatest news we could have ever had because of what He brought, what He came to do. You see, the message the shepherds receive here of good news, it is the message that the church preaches to the world from that day all the way until the final day. So, so the mission of the church is consistently the same all the way until the day Jesus comes. Preach the good news. Declare the gospel of Christ. That's what Jesus told His church in Mark 16, 15. He told them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So, so the shepherds here are hearing the good news about Jesus. And this good news, understand, would be to all the people. Now, I'm happy about that. What if the gospel was only for just the Jews? They'd leave us Gentiles in a pickle. We'd have no hope. We'd have no salvation. It is for all the people. You see, the gospel is a worldwide message both to the Jew and the Gentiles. And here's what Jesus would say later in His ministry in John twelve thirty two. He says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. Now, that does not mean all men without exception, as in universalism, that every individual who ever lives is going to be saved. No, not at all. But it is all men without distinction, 
There is no cultural, ethnic, or societal restriction to the gospel reaching sinners. None. The Lord draws people to Himself from all distinctions. And this very fact, the very fact that this message comes to the shepherds is proof of this. It is proof of this. They are the outcasts. They are the lowly. They are the despised in their day. And here the message of the Savior comes to them. Them. How great a picture this is for us too. You see, as sinners... We all are outcasts who need the hope that only the Savior can give. And if you're saved today, understand this, Christian, that Christ sought you as an outcast, as an unworthy sinner. He didn't come to save you because you deserved it. He came to save you because you didn't deserve it. That's what grace is. You know Him because of Him alone, not because of you. These shepherds know of this Savior's arrival, not because they were good and eloquent shepherds, but because God simply chose to reveal this to them. And so He draws them to Him and brings them to this wonderful Lord who's been born. Now notice the good news continues in verse 11. As the angel says, unto you is born. Now this is a callback to the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah 9.6, another prophecy that's often quoted this time of year, and it's a wonderful one. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the child who has arrived. This is the baby who has been born. And the angel tells us of this, of this person in, the, in our text, He says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior is born. Not just a new temporary king. Not just a new temporary prophet. But the actual Savior of sinners. With this announcement and with this text, we see the fulfillment of yet another prophecy in Micah 5.2. We've read it already throughout this season that The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The one who has had an eternal existence. He would come into this world as the Savior, the gift of God to bring salvation to His people. You see, the truth about Christmas is that God promised long ago to send the greatest gift imaginable. The gift of salvation wrapped up in His Son. It's gifts is a, is a certain thing this year, and we're, we celebrate that, and we're thankful for that. I was reading one little story here. It's probably off topic, but there was a last-minute Christmas shopper. She bought about 50 Christmas, a box of 50 Christmas cards for her friends, and without stopping to read them, she addressed them, stamped them, and mailed them out, mailed 49 of them out. And later on the Christmas day, when, she, when the rush was all over, she came to that one card she didn't send. She read it. And the card said, this is just a little card to say a Christmas gift is on the way. <laughs> her, her heart sunk. As now her 49 friends would be expecting a gift that she never intended to send. <laughs> we look at God and His gift to the Savior. His, his gift was intentionally planned in eternity past. Eternity past. That He would send His Son and Jesus would come into this world. To save sinners like you and I. 
He promised to save His people from their sins. And guess what, church? He's done that with His death on the cross and His resurrection. This is what Christmas all points to. The redemptive work of Christ. Notice that the angel calls the Savior. He is Christ the Lord. The title Christ means the fulfiller of Israelite expectation of a deliverer. He is that anointed one. The one person promised to come and be the deliverer. And the shepherds, they were aware of this promised Messiah. They were Jews. They knew what their, their history was, what their scriptures had said. And they are some of the first ones to hear He has arrived. Some of the outcasts, the first one to hear He's arrived. And notice the angel also calls Him Christ. Not only is the Christ, but He is Lord. See, all these titles that surround Jesus, they speak depths into who He is and what He will do. By calling Him Lord means that He is the one in a position of authority. Jesus is the highest authority. Even as this baby in a manger, He has more authority than Herod, the king of that day. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this, says, Jesus Christ was possessed of more true greatness in a stable than any other king in a palace. You see, all the glorious wonder of this announcement And the angels tell it to these lowly shepherds. And I believe it's very fitting that it comes to these shepherds. Do you know why? Because Jesus Himself, Scripture calls Him the good, the great, and the chief shepherd. He is the good shepherd who came to save His sheep, who gave His life for His sheep. As John 10, 11 says, Jesus spoke, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He is the great shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. What a great shepherd He is. What must the shepherds be thinking? Well, the glory of this message just continues. Not only did the message come to bring salvation, the message spoke of salvation, let her see the message came with singing and praise. And I love how this, 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 this picture is presented to us. With the shepherds hearing this good news, look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Pause and imagine this a moment. Imagine the sight and sound of this experience. Now, if you've ever been to a large Christian conference, I've been to a few of them. But when, you, when you're in a, a conference and you can hear nearly 5,000 saints all singing at one time, it almost, is, it's somewhat heavenly. It kind of probes your mind into thinking what it will be like to be worshiping in heaven with all of the saints of God, that, that glorious chorus that we bring out unto the Lord. But not only will the saints be singing, we also see the angels singing. And the number of them is beyond measure, according to Scripture. We get just a glimpse of this in Revelation. Revelation 5, 11-12 says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
Now what are these, these thousands of angels saying in their praise to God? We read in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Some translations may render that last phrase, on earth peace, goodwill towards men. With this song of praise being connected to Jesus, it indicates the deity of Jesus. Glory to God in the highest. You see, Jesus, who is God, humbled Himself to leave the highest place to come to a lowly place. Lowly place. With His arrival, this is what He's done. With His incarnation. He has manifested the deepest expression of humility that one could ever know. Philippians 2 would spell that out in theological detail, if you would, of what Christ did for us. But not only that, with His arrival, He has brought peace to mankind. And notice that this peace, this peace is not directly applied to every man. For not all men come to be at peace with God or know God's peace. This peace, the Scripture says, is among those with whom He is pleased, indicating that it is the peace given to His own people. It connects to Isaiah's prophecy. He is the Prince of Peace. Giving us the true peace that we all need. Because man's chief need is what? It is peace with God. Why? Because... Outside of Christ, we are at enmity with God. We're not at peace. We're at war with Him and our sinful nature. If we were at peace with God, there would have been no need for Jesus to come into this world. But since we're not at peace with God, Jesus came to bring peace. And He brought peace by the blood of His cross. By His death to bring us justification. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, aren't you glad you're at peace with God in Christ? You're not at war with Him anymore. But not only do we have peace with God, we have peace of God. John 14.27 Jesus would tell His disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What great peace that is. See, all of this announcement, it is one of great joy. Joy to these shepherds, but also joy to us. I pray today that your joy is filled. Your joy is full by the message of Christ's coming. There's there's no greater news or occasion that could be more joyous than the coming of Christ to save sinners. John Calvin comments on this very reality of this great joy that's brought to them. He says, by calling it great joy, he shows us not only that we ought above all things to rejoice in the salvation brought to us by Christ, but that this blessing is so great and boundless as fully to compensate for all the pains, distresses, and anxieties of the present life. Let us learn to be so delighted with Christ alone, that the perception of His grace may overcome and at length remove from us all the distresses of the flesh. And Christian, that's really what we all have to come back to when it comes to life, right? 
you're going to go through anxieties and distresses and hardship. But what centers us and is our foundation is Christ. And joy in Christ transcends what we may experience in this world because it continues on into eternity with us. So what would the shepherds do in response to such a heavenly announcement? Number two, we see this morning a hopeful anticipation. A hopeful anticipation. We see it just very fundamental from the text that the shepherds, they sought the newborn Savior. They didn't hear this message and just, oh, that's nice, well, we'll just hang out here. No, they, they seek Him. They go to where He's at. Verse 12, we read that the angel tells them a way they'll be able to find Him. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, they just had the most astounding message they've ever heard about the Savior. Then they're told the exact town that he's in and how to know that he, it's him. The angel gave these shepherds a direct location and a sign to know where the Savior was. We're all dependent on signs, aren't we? Navigation, you know, learning in a new area, signs are somewhat important. When I first moved here, I passed my exit the first few times, going to my house. If you know where I live, if you see the Oklahoma sign, you've gone too far. So I got accustomed that when I've seen that sign, I've gone too far. Then when I saw the casino, I knew I'd really gone too far. <laughs> Had to turn around. I love all you Oklahoma people too, by the way. Okies and Arkies together. The signs for finding this newborn Savior were certainly unique. Notice that he says, you'll find him lying in a manger. What are the odds that any newborn baby is going to be lying in a manger? What is this manger? This, this manger, uh, according to this Greek word, is a box or a crib where animals feed. You know, we're so blessed to have baby rooms and decor and nice cribs and we put them in, but Mary and Joseph, they're not even in their own hometown. They don't even have a place to stay at at the local inn because that time was so full of people. There would have been no place in that place for privacy for her to give birth to a child. I know that's often twisted to say, well, there's no room for Jesus there. It's probably a good thing that she wasn't in there. No privacy. It's too full. There weren't hotels like today. These shepherds didn't need to go looking at the hotel or the hospitals if they had them. They needed to go look where the animals dwelt. It's ironic is they're also dwelling with animals. How many kings and lords would allow themselves, if they could choose, to be born and placed in a stable, in a manger? Jesus did. And here's the reality. Before His incarnation, He knew exactly when and where and to whom He would come into this world. And yet He did it anyway. Though He was the etern- is the eternal God, the highest and the holiest one, This He did for the purpose of accomplishing our salvation. To show us how low He went, all for the sake of redeeming you and I. Hebrews 2.9 tells us of Christ. We see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. 
You see, the shepherds didn't waste any time in verse 15. They said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord's made known to us. And we read in verse 16 that they went with haste. Now, I think if we'd got that message, we'd all be running, jogging, or power walking, whatever we could do to get there as quick as possible. I would be. I'd be filled with excitement and also wonder, am I really going to find this child? So they arrive in Bethlehem, and then we find that they, they, they come to find Jesus in verse 16. The Scriptures tell us, They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, exactly as the angel told them, the sign that was given to them, that's exactly as God said. And so their hopeful anticipation here is met. They come to see the reality of the, vision, of the message they heard. But not only that, notice letter B this morning, that they shared the news with others. So the shepherds come and they find Jesus. And they begin to tell about it. Now I just imagine this scene of these random shepherds, unknown to Mary and Joseph, they don't know who they are. At least we don't know they do. And they just come into where they're sitting, there in that area where the cow, the, the, where the... Uh, uh, animals are, the babies are there in the manger. What a surprise visit this must have been. Now, if a random group of shepherds showed up at our delivery room, I'd have a few questions. People I'd never seen before. Well, who are you? What are you doing here? Get out. <laughs> That's, when you first have a baby, you really don't want a whole lot of visitors, right? I mean, family's great, but uh, mama's wore out, dad's wore out. Nurses take care of the baby. The experience of the shepherds in the field, they, they had to come. They're meant to come. And we read in verse 17 that they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. Now, to most people, this kind of story would have been some kind of a sensational thing, something unrealistic, right? How would you have received this story? But we see the response of them in verse 18. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I mean, there's been a lot of miraculous revelation in recent days to Zechariah and Elizabeth, to, to, to Joseph, to Mary. And now we come to this point here where the shepherds receive this news. And so they come and tell all of them about what's going on. Now we see that they all wondered at it. But we look at Mary in verse 19, and this is something that sticks out with her, even in other texts. We find in verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now Mary has a mother's heart here. And this is a practice we find Mary doing that's recorded in Scripture elsewhere. We read later in this same chapter, after Jesus was found in the temple, you remember he was missing for a few days, they thought he was with the caravan, and he's 12 years old, he was in the temple, and he was questioning uh, the teachers and answering questions to the teachers, and when they found Jesus, they were worried sick about him. Jesus asked them in verse 49 of Luke 2, Why were you looking for me? Do you not know I must be in my father's house? What was Mary's response to that? Well, verse 51, she responds the same way that she did when the shepherds came and brought that news. She treasured up all these things in her heart. The word used for treasured up means that you're storing information in one's mind for careful consideration. 
So Mary, she is deeply contemplating these events. Similar to how, how, how Jacob thought about Joseph's dreams, although he didn't believe them at first. We read in Genesis 7, 37, 11 that his father kept the saying in his mind. It wasn't immediately dismissed and stirred anger in him like it did his brothers, but he's pondering what Joseph's talking about. But with Mary, it's, it's a little bit even greater depth here that she's deeply contemplating these events and messages, storing them up in her mind, taking them in as God is progressively unfolding the arrival and the life of the Messiah who she has given birth to. Now, this spoke to me in regards to her, her, her reaction. How often do God's people read of something wonderful in the Scriptures or hear of something wonderful God has done only to allow it to leave our minds within an hour? Comes in and goes out. How many times a year, how, how many this time of year, this is about the only time of year they think about Jesus, about Christ, and maybe on Easter too, but do not re- routinely do so throughout the year. You see, these events surrounding the birth of Christ and the very essence of His incarnation, God made flesh, should be treasured in our hearts. Stored up, carefully contemplated, meditated upon by us. All these things and the rest of Jesus' life would have given Mary a deeper understanding of Jesus as time progressed. Now we have the whole picture in Scripture. We ought to think deeply on it and be affected by it. And So there's two applications I think we can glean from Mary and the shepherds. Like Mary, we should be treasuring up the truths of Jesus in our hearts, pondering them, meditating on them, rejoicing in them, being affected by them. And like the shepherds, we ought to be telling others about them. We ought to be telling others about them. Notice number three as we have our final point. We've seen a heavenly announcement. Now we see a heartfelt amazement. A heartfelt amazement. We'd look at the shepherds and how they leave and how they respond, what's going on in them. The shepherds glorified God for Christ's arrival. They wouldn't stay with the newborn Savior long. Most visits with newborns are limited anyway. But you look at verse 20, the shepherds returned, but they didn't return the same way. That night was totally different for them. They weren't the same as before the announcement came and they're just going about their usual watching their flock. They've been affected by this. In verse 20, we read, They returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told them. What other response could we expect from them? They had just encountered the true Lord and were changed by it. This is the repeated response for those who met Jesus in his life. After healing and healing the blind man, we read about that encounter. Luke 18, 43, immediately he recovered his sight and followed him. And what's he doing? He's glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. People who genuinely meet Jesus are changed by him in a salvific way. So the shepherds were privileged to see the promised Messiah the world's Savior, the Good Shepherd. Though they were outcasts, the message of salvation came to them. 
Which leads me to one final application for us. Letter B, we understand that the saints, that's us, Christians, the saints must always glorify God for Christ's arrival. It ought to be the continuing theme throughout history all the way to the end of the world. Glory be to God for His marvelous gift of Christ. This should bring us all to consider ourselves. Jesus was born into this world as the Savior to die so that sinners may be born again to live. The only way that Christ's birth, His redemptive death, and His triumphant resurrection has any real impact on us is if we genuinely know Him by faith, if we have been born again. So many hear this message over and over every year, but they're unaffected by it. What's the difference? The difference is regeneration, the new birth. As Jesus would say in His message to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, people see the nativity scene, but they don't really see the nativity scene. There's a difference when you come to know Jesus Charles Spurgeon commenting on this says, For this child is not born unto you unless you are born unto this child. Friend, when you are born again, when you know Him, you have believed on Him, you've met Him personally, you are genuinely changed by Him. Because God never enters a life and leaves it the same. Never does. So we, like the shepherds, we were outcasts. We were bound in sin. But the Savior came to save us from that sin. And if you've met Him personally today, you know that He's brought change in your life. And if He's brought that change in your life, I encourage us all today to rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in what He's done. But also, as Mary, treasure it up. Treasure it up in your hearts. Reflect on the glory of what it means that God became flesh so that He could redeem us Save us and give us eternal life. Maybe today you don't truly know Him. I pray that today you would see. You would see that it's your sin that deserves judgment. And that Christ, He alone is salvation. And all who believe on Him have everlasting life. Let's stand to our feet as we close in in prayer and a closing song. Father in heaven, we bow before you this morning. We're so thankful to you that you've allowed us to gather on this very special Christmas day that we celebrate the arrival of Christ through his birth. We praise you, Father, for this text, for the message that you gave to the shepherds, the outcasts, and how greatly that applies even to our own life. There's not any of us in this room that are worthy of you. None of us are worthy of eternal life. None of us are worthy of forgiveness. None of us are worthy of salvation from your judgment and your wrath that we deserve. But grace has changed all of that. Grace is what has brought us salvation. Grace is what sent your Son into this world to live the life that we could never live, sinless, holy, and perfect pay the penalty that we could never pay with his death, his blood, to conquer the enemy we could never overcome, which is death. 
Help us to rejoice in the true meaning of Christmas today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.